This is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the seventh part in our series, Rome, the Decline of Democracy. Where we last left off, the sick emperor Caligula had just finished making a mockery of the Senate and waging war against the sea, only to be replaced by a much wiser and competent ruler, Claudius. Brett, everything ends happy with Rome and they live happily ever after, right? We're done here. The series is over. Everything's good. That's right, Aaron. That's why we all speak uh, Latin. And that's why um, the, the Italian peninsula is the center of government and economy in the world today. That's, yes, that's exactly. Right. <laughs> Explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, not quite, unfortunately. Rome... Well, you know, we can maybe talk in a later episode about whether or not Rome gets a happy ending. And sure. personally, personally, if I, I could talk for hours about the decline of Rome and, and how its its influence has spread across the globe to, I mean, everything, right? Like, I think of the saying, all good things must come to an end, though. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and, uh, and we're about to see an end to the Judeo-Claudian dynasty, the, the first dynastic rulers of Rome since the Tarquins, uh, you know, controlled the city many, many centuries ago. And this is a huge shift because once you're handing things down to your son or your heirs, like any, the, the last remnants of any kind of republic or democracy are, are just, they're fully gone at this point. This is not, this is not based on merit or any of these other criteria that traditional democracies and republics base anything on. Yes. At this point, Rome does not consider itself to be a, uh, a kingdom, hmm. right? I mean, we say emperor, but they're basically kings, right? We don't, they do not consider themselves to be a kingdom. They still consider themselves to be a republic. If you ask them what they were, they would say republic. The, the reason that it feels like an empire to us in hindsight is because we we have clear eyes and clear minds and we can see, well, hey, like they, they, what they would say is like, this guy was incredibly wealthy and he was incredibly competent. And through his career, he was democratically awarded titles and influences to run the government as is befitting a republic to do. Republics are allowed to appoint people to do stuff, right? That's how republics work. And then at when that person would die, they would just say like, hey, my son here, he's just as competent as I am. You guys should take a look at this guy. And then the, the sycophantic Senate who are benefiting from the system would just be like, yeah, sounds good to me. Let's do it. So to them, it's all a, a very fair and even balance, uh, change of changing of power. Right? This is really important because this is actually something that goes on a lot today, especially when we look at like these dictatorships in Africa or we, we look at North Korea and stuff, is that they still hold quasi fake elections. And, and, and it's never it's never just like I am like it's not like King Lewis where it's like I God has chosen me or I have divine right like these rulers today, like the dictators that we have today, don't completely just fall back and say, I have divine right. They say, oh, I, I was elected, even though we know that these elections are completely, complete nonsense. And they'll even, they'll even have one random dude sometimes just vote no. They're like, oh yeah, it was one guy. I, I won by 99%. Total, totally yep. fair, guys, you know? <laughs> the, the Romans, for their part, are relatively happy to not be in civil war. 
And the regular Romans tend to not like the Senate. The mm. Senate is like the the aristocracy. And the king is kind of like, in a way, sorry, not the king, the emperor, the principate, in a way, is kind of like the common man's representation in the Roman government at this point, especially with Augustus. Even with Tiberius, Caligula, there's some theories that Caligula was not as evil as he's made out to be. And the reason he's been vilified is because, you know, nowadays we say history is written by the victors. But in that time, history is written by the people who have the capacity to write and the time to do it. Yes. And that is certainly not the far the peasant farmers and the slaves, right? So, you know, if you're if you're a senator and you and your fellow senators are having their power stripped away and given to the poor, you might be vilifying the person doing that. Sure. Uh, I, I do want to preface that by saying that we do, though, have solid evidence that he was kind of a jerk. Right? <laughs> it's we, we, I, I don't I don't want you I don't want to give the impression here that like all we have about history at this time period is uh, like the writings of like five guys who hated someone and we're taking their word for it. There's archeological and geographical evidence to support what is happening in this time period. They do really interesting stuff, dig up, excavate. When they excavate like uh, human remains, they can uh, do analysis on like bone marrow and determine like the, the diet of people and like if they were getting certain nutrients and and how healthy they were and we do see like a decline in standard of life around that time that's amazing that's absolutely that's fantastic um archaeological research and so forth um getting back to our roman citizens here i i, I think after you know our our four five civil wars i could see why there's a disdain for democracy i could see why there's a disdain for this, and it, it actually goes back to what Plato predicted. Uh, for Plato in the Republic, he writes that all, all democracies eventually become dictatorships without without fail, and that's that's a really grim. It's a grim piece of knowledge to to have sitting in our minds at all times. And when when you when you're a poli sci major and your professor actually assigns the Republic, they never assign that chapter. They actually, really? they, they, they never assign that chapter. The only reason I know this is because I actually just on my own volition decided to read the entire book for myself. I'm like, holy shit. Like mm -hmm. that's in there. And, and like, as, 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 the, as this podcast is developing, I'm starting to realize that when we speak about the truth, we really go into some really dark areas and we go into some, some really dark shadows of, of, of things that we think to be true. And I guess for Plato, he basically said that eventually the, 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 the people themselves will lose will to rule over themselves. Like they'll just lose that will. And a, a civil war, like a, a disastrous civil war can definitely uh, be the catalyst that does that. And at that point, they just want a protector. Like I, I think for Plato, he would definitely say that just having a strong protector who can make quick, fast executive decisions is, is better than you know, stagnation and endless, you know, conjecture and debate over some trifling law. Yeah, I think that people, by and large, want are are, are people by and large are short-sighted, yeah. and what will happen occasionally is someone who shares your viewpoints and morals 
gets to a position where with your help and your tacit approval can become an all-powerful leader. And because they share your morals and your opinions, you might think, why not? Getting more influence to get to further my agenda, if you can call, you know, like in, in the case of Rome, you know, expanding the middle class and lessening war an agenda, you know, they're like, yeah, let's do it. But that is short-sighted because people do not realize that the next guy is once, what people don't realize is that once you break the rules of government, they're broken. They don't go back. It's really hard to prop up. Once you've, the, the biggest problem by far, the, the most existential threat to any country through any time period without a doubt is legitimacy. Yes. Yeah. 100%. There is no greater threat to a country, internal or external, than legitimacy. Giving the air or finding reasons to support the fact that you get to make the rules and people have to do what you say. And that applies to dictatorships, democracies, theocracies, oligarchies. Um, I don't know. Are there any others? Tech, techocracies. Yeah. Uh, theocracies. Majocracies. <laughs> whatever. Right? It's It's all... <laughs> It's it's that is your biggest hurdle. And once you once you chip away at that legitimacy to put someone else in power, you can't just like be like, oh, the new guy is bad. Let's go back to the old way. You demolish the old way. It's gone. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. And and this will be the last thing I say before we move on from this is that it, it comes to the philosophical idea. Does does a people want to be free? Or do they want protection? And, and wow. these are like the, these are these are the two primal urges that we all have. And I think as history has shown us, people really want to be protected. Most people don't want to be free. They really just want protected. They want to know where that food is coming from. They want to know where, um, you know, where you know that their house is going to be stable. And we see this time and time and time again repeating itself in history. So I, I think Rome is is probably the emblem of this. I think, you know, you, you know, you saying that, you know what it reminds me of, you know, you're a poli sci major. I'm a, I'm a psych major. It reminds <laughs> me of, um, have you ever heard of a psychologist named Maslow? Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy. Sure. Yeah. You're reminding me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in that when everything is great, you can afford to be interested in leaders that will, will expand the, the the education of your country and and you know like this this he's he's a moral leader and and he brings us great joy because you know he's intelligent and he, we can all be philosophers under him and <laughs> po pontificate at at length on whatever <laughs> things interest us from the day to day but when things are tough and you're not at the top of that pyramid none of that matters and all you care about is like this leader makes it so we don't die right? yes even us philosophers need to eat from exactly. time to time <laughs> exactly you know one day we're gonna have to uh, you'll have to let me do an episode on rome has some very interesting philosophers yeah well, well... some interesting types of philosophers there's like there's like this kind of like homeless vagrant type of philosopher that's very common in rome around this period where they're like they're kind of like the doomsday 
soothsayers of our time where they like stand on street corners and then like yell at people that they're they're a bad person and they're not following the tenets of life properly oh, wait, 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 wait. that's that's a podcast in itself man say no and then, more and <laughs> then they turn around and beg them for money because they're homeless right it's like <laughs> unreal okay well that sounds like new york a little bit but we'll, little, we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll get into that man that's awesome all right so claudius is there he's running the ship everything's cool what goes on now so Claudius, Claudius is doing a very good job. Um, it's, I mean, I'm gonna editorialize a little here and give some reasons why I think he's doing a good job. The most one is that he was not pampered throughout his life because of his stutter, because of his his lisp, because of his limp. He's he's not exactly held in the highest regard, right? He has lots of. Uh, abnormalities that make people kind of look the other way at him. So he's never pampered, or he is, but not quite as much as some of the other more hedonistic emperors are. The other thing is that Claudius becomes a ruler much later in life than Caligula, right? Mm. Uh, Claudius is much older. He's, he's Caligula's uncle. So he's, the years have wisened him a little bit. Right. Is that true in history? Like, you know, I think of like King Louis the Sixteenth. I think of these really young kid rulers, and I even think of Game of Thrones. You got what was his name, Joffrey or something? You know, like yeah. something about putting children in power. It's really, and and this even happens with like child celebrities, right? Like if they become too rich and too famous, they tend to get involved in drugs and all sorts of crazy stuff. So I'm I'm thinking that. There is, I think the founders of our country were maybe a little wise, like they maybe made a good call by making 35 the, 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 the age to be president. So I'm wondering, does to be a ruler, does that need like some seasoning? You really need me to answer that, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yes, being a ruler requires some level of experience. Right, yeah. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. But the, um, no, you're right. And, and when we talk about, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. One thing that we're going to pound over and over and over again into your head is this idea of like child rulers, feckless rulers, people who are puppets for other people mm. make poor rulers. And yes, throughout history, we'll see that. We'll see like bad rulers create, create bad times, right? Like, um, it, when Rome, when the Western Roman Empire is falling, you, it's like child ruler after child ruler after child ruler. They, and it's not that like the child ruler is the um, is is like making bad decisions. They're not making any decisions. It's people are fighting behind the scenes to control this puppet figurehead government. Okay, right. we'll, we'll we'll dive deep into that when we when we get there. But yeah, like avoid child rulers, definitely. <laughs> definitely avoid child rulers. So Claudius is older; he's seen a lot of stuff, and people haven't been all that nice to him. So I, I think I guess that's the criteria for a good ruler. I guess. Yeah, he's doing great. He's stabilizing the economy. He's annexing Britain, which is something that Julius Caesar started and didn't get to finish. So he actually has gone above and beyond things that even Julius Caesar did at this point. He's a solid ruler. Um, <laughs> he's better than people thought he was going to be. Uh, the one place that he really seems to struggle is in his love life. Okay. He is, he does not do a good job with the ladies. Um, 
his his first wife, uh, or rather his fiance, they call off the wedding because she gets disgraced politically by like a rival faction and he can't marry her. Um, his his first real bride or first or second, one of his early brides is she dies, right? Right on their wedding day. Um, he ends up getting married and divorced four times. Jeez. He has his second to last wife. He has her, uh, a woman named Messalina. Uh, he has her executed because she is cheating on him like a ton, like a ton, a ton. And she ends up like basically cheating on him with, with like a rival for power oh at God. one point. And, and she, the, the, the inner circle fears that this is going to be a rallying point. And so they finally tell poor Claudius, who is mostly in the dark of all this, that his wife is just sleeping around, doing whatever she wants. And he has her executed. Right. Jeez. Wow. Wow. That's, you know, me, again, I'm, I'm playing armchair psychologist here, but do you think maybe he was doing such a good job ruling Rome that he didn't have time to, to spend with the missus there? Maybe, maybe yeah, a maybe few more, maybe there. a few more picnics on Sunday would have done. I don't know. You know, it's. We, we need to be careful when we try to apply modern sensibilities to people who lived 2000 years ago. Mm. So my answer to that would be like Roman women probably would, did not expect that kind of treatment in the first place. Wow. Wow. Right. It's wow. not, it's not as simple as like they didn't pay enough attention because no one was paying attention. They were, they were doing what was proper in that, that era. Mm. Um, it's uh, as a small anecdote, it's, it's, in, it's always interesting to me how historians like, ev- like, you know, like Augustus himself had like many mistresses and, and Julius Caesar obviously cheated on his wife to have a bastard child with Cleopatra, yeah. Mark Antony, same thing. But it's usually only the women who get like branded with like sexual deviance mm-hmm. when it's shown that they're sleeping around a lot. And that's, you got to be careful, right? And I, and I just fell into it by saying it because it's kind of like in the history books. But the truth is, is that she was not being so much more different than any of the powerful men of the time. Yeah. That's interesting. So I, I guess I, I, I guess like the, the like it was more acceptable for a man to just cheat and have multiple women like that. That wasn't a public disgrace type of thing. And well, I, I, it actually makes sense because this is kind of like predating Christian thought. So like we're, we're able to kind of like make, because all of these Greek gods slept around, like Zeus slept around like there was no tomorrow. So I think that these Romans, you know, are just basically parroting their own, you know, their, their kind of reimagined versions of, of Jupiter and being like, yeah, our gods slept around, totally cool for me to sleep around. We're like right at the onset of Christianity during this time period. Yeah. Uh, Jesus has been dead for like about 50 years. And the Bible is like, I mean, what we know is the Bible, the King James Bible obviously won't exist for a long time. Yeah. James isn't even a name yet, let alone a guy, let alone a guy important enough to make a Bible. <laughs> but um, like the, the, the proto Bible is starting to solidify and the cult of Jesus Christ as it's called at the time, is starting to surface. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll definitely get there. But but it's uh, it's important to know that like the morals and the ethics that govern Rome are very different than our Judeo-Christian values, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, that is one thing to keep in mind is that 
Judeo-Christian, if we just call them Judeo values, Judeo values definitely exist. The Jews okay. are are around, they're in Jerusalem, and they are at the moment living under the yoke of, of Roman rule. They're not super happy about it, but there's like a tenuous, okay, Judaism, Jews and Romans go to war about three times throughout Rome's history. The, the Jews don't like, don't <laughs> like living under that yoke. Um, but but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, I want to say that even though it was more acceptable for men to cheat, it was still technically not acceptable for mm. men to cheat. Uh, Augustus Caesar actually made it illegal. We didn't talk about it, but one of the negative things that he did was he tried to pass a bunch of like morality laws on the people that they were having none of, right? <laughs> like he, he was like... Yeah, like uh, this, coming coming soon to your your sex life, the 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 old decrepit ruler of your country telling you who you you are and aren't allowed to sleep with. This right? is like the opposite of Moses. Like, imagine Moses came down and like, nah, like 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 <laughs> take your laws away. We're gonna continue le- leading in hedonism. <laughs> yeah, so it was frowned upon for men to sleep around, just like it was frowned upon for women to sleep around, but because for the most part, men had the power, you would like be like looked down upon as a man who did it. Like they would like, it would be like dishonorable. Hmm. Whereas if you were a woman who did it, you might actually be in, in like some amount of danger. Yeah, yeah. You and know what I mean? There's definitely a double standard and some might even argue somewhat of a double standard even today to, to, some, to some degree. Yeah, for sure. But right, for sure. But just like today, like officially, uh, neither side is really supposed to be doing it. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So wife is cheating on him. He's got four divorces and execution, like, like, what, what, like four divorces and one execution under his belt at this point. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's, I think it's actually more like, it's more like, like two divorces, one death uh, and one execution. Got it, man. Sounds, sounds like a happy romance right there. <laughs> like, yeah. This guy is, is, he's no Casanova. His, <laughs> He, after Messalina, he says, I'm never going to get married again. I'm, I'm done. Smart but man. Ob- <laughs> but obviously, that can't fly because marriage is more than just two people who love each other, especially in Rome uh, and especially in ancient times. It is an agreement. It is a political alliance. And the king needs a queen from a powerful family. Wow, right. wow, wow, wow. So Claudius has a variety of advisors around him who are advising him on who he should marry next. And the group that wins out is a group of freedmen, which are former slaves turned like bureaucrats, basically. And we'll, we'll hear more and more about the freedmen as time goes on. They play an increasingly important role in bureaucracy in Rome. Um, but this group basically convinces him that he needs to marry his niece Hmm. his niece agrippina and if you think that this is unacceptable today you would be in good company the romans also thought this was disgusting all right they got some they got some standards there they they did (laughs) um they thought they saw this as an ancestral relationship Okay. And they they did not approve. Good for them. Like, Good for they did them. Not, like, <laughs> outwardly rebel or anything, but they definitely thought it was gross. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, 
And she's so, considerably younger than him, I imagine, as well, right? Is yes. It... Um, she's not so much younger that it would be weird. Early and high medieval Italy, um, they have a habit of like much older men marrying much younger women. Mm. That is not a thing that's happening so much in Rome. Okay. The age difference is more acceptable. It's still, it's like pushing the boundaries of what we would consider okay in modern America. Like, you know, like a 40-year-old marrying like a 20-year-old. But it's not like a 30-year-old marrying a 12-year-old. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I I just feel like I need to say that. So Yeah, that's good to know. And and there are, there is evidence where that kind of happens, where Romans are like, they show disdain and disgust. And they're like, she's too young for you. Uh, not so different, right? Not so different. But um, so Agrippina, the reason that he ends up going with Agrippina is she she's his niece from the the Julian side of the family, hmm. right? And there's a rift that has formed between the Julio and the Claudian side of this dynasty. And what they're hoping is that this marriage will kind of like reunite the two sides and make the dynasty strong again. And not to give out any spoilers, but the next emperor will be the last Judeo-Claudian ruler, so probably didn't work the way they wanted it to. So Agrippina is very m- machinacious. She, she has lots of machinations. She's scheming. She has a son, uh, a boy named Nero. That oh, boy. Wa- oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, I've heard of him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to be emperor. Claudius has a son, too, named Britannicus but he's younger. Nero's older. Agrippina's plan is to get Nero to be, I was about to say to get Nero to be president, to get (laughs) Nero to be president. And then um, Claudius um, marries his niece. And this is, she, she has, has aspirations for power and authority. And what she wants is because women can't hold office in any way beyond being uh, vessel virgins in the temple of the Vespas, they, um, she plans to rule through her son, mm, right? which is, is not an unheard of thing to do where we see this in Rome and we see this in history all the time. Women of authority and power ruling through feckless men, right? Because if the man wasn't feckless, they would probably want to rule in their own right. There's, there's plenty of examples where, like, a man and a woman rule jointly uh, very well. Uh, you know, the, during the Reconquista in Spain uh, between uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, they ruled jointly and did a great job. Um, and, well, great job, horrible job. Depends where your opinion on Muslims in Granada land. But, uh, you know, they, they were effective. We'll say that at least. So this is where we're kind of in a good place because now, you know, if a woman aspires to power, she doesn't need like a pushover man to, to, to be with her. She can just run for office or do what she needs to do without that. Absolutely. It's very precarious when the system is in a place where you need to get like an unwitting idiot to do your bidding, because if they kind of like realize what you're doing and then oust you because they feel like they've been taking advantage of <laughs> uh, now you have. Someone who was so dumb that someone else thought they could control them for their whole life in complete control of everything, mm. and you're in trouble. This is like a, what I call like a Trojan horse man. Like, like you're just hiding inside the – you're just using this man yeah. to get into power, right? And, and what happens is – I'll fast forward a little bit – is Agrippina gets Claudius 
to basically name Nero as the heir. Mm-hmm. And then she kills him. Whoa. Probably. That's editorializing a little bit. Probably poisons him. So she she poisons her husband and to get her son Nero as power. What happens to uh, a Britann- does, does this Britannicus guy actually put up a bit of a fight or what happens to him? He's too young, but he ends up living to a ripe old age and opens an amusement park. No, he does not. He's dead. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a goner. We'll get to that. Okay. The way he dies is somewhat significant. Uh, but Britannicus is too young to rule, which is kind of how she convinces him to go with her son over his actual son, right? Is Nero is 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 like a uh, late teenager, you know. Mm-hmm. Britannicus is is too young to rule, but even late teenager is still, as I'm sure you can imagine, way too young. Imagine yourself in high school, and then someone says like, "You're going to be the president of the United States now." Imagine how hard that would be. The, sure. Beyond your the fact that, one, you're probably going through puberty at the moment. You know, imagine, you know, you in high school being elected president. It's like beyond, uh, you know, the, the puberty that you're currently going through, which is, you know, making you make very weird and wild decisions based on mood swings and stuff like that. The pressure on a child would surely cause some unintended side effects in their mental state. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Not good. Like you said, child emperors, not good. So what happens is, is that uh, Claudius is killed. And after he names Nero, like the next, the next person. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is before Britannicus can hold enough power uh, Nero is going to be in charge, right? During the regime change, Agrippina has most of her rivals in the court assassinated. The people who were against her marrying Claudius, the people who were against Nero being the one that is elevated to the rank of emperor. I mean, it's not a rank, but I'll just say that the rank of emperor, they're dead, right? Mm. And plenty of people spoke out, spoke out against this. Plenty of people thought it was weird that Agrippina would be the one because she's related to him so closely and plenty of people knew Nero and saw him as like a sociopath and they were like we can't let this happen. How old is Nero at this time? He's 17 years old. He, like I said, he's like kind of like in his late teens. He's a little bit older than Britannicus who is probably uh, not even a teenager yet. So this 17 year old uh, you know, elevated power. Agrippina is having her rivals killed off. And it's it, like I said, it's clear that she intends to rule through her son. What we're going to see in Nero's early reign is Agrippina's face on coin on Roman minted coins, something that we have never seen before. Usually the, it's the face of the emperor that goes on coins. Right. Uh, but what we're going to see instead is Agrippina's face, which is, well, like I just said, unheard of until now. She's um She's she gets special authority to attend senatorial meetings as long as she stands behind a curtain. It's like, you know, like, God forbid the boys in Senate see a girl, you know, it's it's crazy. Right. Um, uh, So as long as she stands behind this curtain, she gets to listen in on senatorial meetings, which is a huge amount of power, huge amount. And then when she hears what she hears, and she can then make decisions and then talk to those senators after the meetings and have senators that are loyal to the regime 
make changes to the laws and and basically get her agendas through, right? Now, the, the other senators know she's behind the curtain, or they're supposed to just pretend like they don't see her or something? No, they know. They all know. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> they know she's there. It's like, they just, it, the curtain, I presumably, is there so they can ignore her. Great. Um, I, love, I love the logic here. <laughs> she's... She's granted the authority to carry lictors around Rome, which is something that was previously only allowed for senatorial men. And she has her own contingent of like senatorial bodyguards beyond the Praetorian Guard's normal guarding stuff in the palace. She's guarded at meetings, right? It's it's she is an imposing figure in wow. Roman in Roman government right now. Eventually, Nero is at this point, an interesting character. He is living under the thumb of his mother, but it's clear that he has a mind of his own. And we're starting to see him wiggle out of her her authority, right? It all comes to a head when Agrippina wants Nero to marry a woman who is like of senatorial rank to like further the the alliance right mm. like it's like, like i had said you know it's like it's a 100 percent a political move um which to be fair most roman marriages were that right even even lower class marriages were political marriages not like huge power plays like this where it's like your side of the family will rule the empire but political in the sense that it's like hey maybe we can join our two farms together if we have a kid right we can that's how kind of business works back then got it she wants her son to marry this woman who will be good for their their image. Nero is in love with a slave girl. And he is in love, love with the slave girl. Or as much love, love as you can be when you're, you know, 18 years old. Um, and he doesn't want to listen to his mother. And this is kind of the last straw. He refuses. He's like, no, I'm not marrying your girl. I'm marrying my girl because she's great and pretty and I don't care for yours that is not as pretty. I don't care that her dad makes a lot of money. This angers Agrippina. Agrippina's response to this is that if he refuses to go through with this, as well as a bunch of other things, because he is kind of like here and there, not listening to her when she says like, tell the Senate to do this, tell the Senate to do that. And like, he's, he's more and more fighting back and becoming his own person, right? She threatens to have her allies in the Senate and in, in, in the, the, the upper class, she threatens to have her allies make Britannicus the emperor. Jeez. But she made one major mistake. She told Nero, if you don't keep doing what I say, I'm gonna have Britannicus made emperor. Sure enough, a year and a little bit less than a year before Britannicus's birthday, where he would be old enough to even be the emperor, he's poisoned at a dinner and dies. What? Wow! 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 So this, you know, this. So this is like an example, and like this is something that we also kind of need to dispel a little bit here. Is that you know we have this idea that the love between a mom and a son is the most purest and whatever thing. But like, I think this is a great 
case in point where not really like there, there are, there are, there are moms and there are parents that will just absolutely use their kid. And then I think that she's a perfect example of this. She's like, if you're not being this like docile vessel for me to control Rome, then you're really of no use to me, son. Like you're really like, I, I will put this other kid in charge who's not even my biological son so that I can still, you know, pull the strings and so forth. And I think it's important to take note of this. I, I think I think it kind of it really like this story actually really shakes our, our Western sensibilities to quite some degree. Yeah, Nero and Agrippina don't have. Sorry, I, I should call her Agrippina the Younger. Uh, Nero and Agrippina the Younger don't have the best relationship. And I also feel bad in this story for Britannicus, who basically uh, is living in exile for most of his life living in how under house arrest is trotted out for like one day and killed yeah right like he had his birthright stolen from him he was then made a prisoner and then he was killed bummer Huge yeah bummer. at this point nero has his mother exiled and also put under house arrest and where she spends the rest of her limited days kind of like rotting away. He can't have her killed right away because she does have some authority. He then spends some time eliminating her, not authority, influence. He then spends some time kind of like eliminating her influence from his court. Mm -hmm. And then once he is able to do so, he has her killed. Some say that he personally killed her. Wow, 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 wow. Now, do you think that she would have killed him eventually if he didn't step, like, would she have plotted, like, because she said, I'm threatening to remove you from power. Do you think she would have taken a step further and had her own son killed if he did not just yield? Yeah, I do. Definitely. I mean, she had her husband killed to get all this done. I don't see why her son would be any different. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit out of loss of words here because it's just like, it, it's, it's really, it's really, it's, it's some truth here, but like, yes, there are family dynamics that can work this way. Absolutely. And uh, you have to remember that Nero is very young right now. Yeah. Like, think of, think of your opinions of your parents when you were a teenager yeah. and some of the, some of the thoughts you might've had about them. And then imagine you have all the authority on planet earth to do whatever you want, mm, mm, you know, mm. and, and Nero does, some sources say that Nero does come to regret killing his mother. Sure. You know, and, and some sources say it makes him crazy, right? The, the guilt drives him mad, but it was, it was a spur of the moment kind of thing, right? I mean, like you say, I'm so sick of this woman. I want her gone in a fit of rage and she's gone before you have time to change your mind. The other thing, but, but here's like the, the nuance here is that, he's not pure evil because she would have perhaps tried to have him killed. So it's almost a self-defense like move. It's not, it's not just Nero being pure evil, being like, I'm so evil. I'm going to kill my own mom for no good reason. It's kind of like, Hey, if I don't move quickly, um, she's going to have me killed and put this other dude in charge. Uh, so Nero, Nero, um, you know, he's, he fancies himself a gladiator. He fancies himself an actor, which are, are like the lowest of the low on the totem pole of respectable careers in Rome. Huh. He participates in gladiatorial games and he wins all of them. Big shock. He would, where he would have his opponents like injured beforehand so he could like mutilate and kill them. Something that Caligula also did, by the way. <laughs> um, 
he participates, he loves chariot racing. He thinks of himself as a chariot racer. Uh, same thing. Every race that he's, every race that he's ever in, he wins. He plays an instrument called the lyre and he sometimes makes the senators like listen to his like recitals before they can like get on with their business of the day. And if the senators, which they would sometimes like fall asleep or look distracted, then you could expect your business not to get through or worse, you could expect to be in some kind of trouble. Right. Make but sure this you clap, one, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but this was this was incredibly scandalous. Like imagine if like we had a president who was like in like remember that being wanting to be an actor being an actor being a gladiator being a chariot racer was lower than like prostitution it would be like imagine if like the president of the united states was like involved with like pornography it's not a it's not such a far stretch anymore (laughs) (laughs) personally i can't even imagine such a thing happening aaron (laughs) Um, the, the, the shame was, was palpable, right? And Nero didn't care, right? He disrespected the senators in this way. He tortured people in the arena. He spent all of his time and all of his time and energy, um, at these games, gambling and performing while Rome's economy went to hell. Sure. Sure. Uh, Nero famously... He's the one who watched Rome burn. Yeah. There was the great Roman fire. And it's said that Nero played his lyre while the flames danced behind him. Right. (laughs) When it was all said and done, Nero blamed it all on the Christians and had them persecuted a lot. Fed to lions, executed, exiled. He was one of the meanest emperors to the Christians. Wow. Wow. So this, so like, let's get into his psyche. Now he has a messed up relationship. He like breaks the ultimate wall by having his mom killed. Right. And that in fairness to him, that probably does drive him insane. I could, I could see something like that, you know, because that's like the bedrock of any moral structure is the mother and father and so forth. We we've thrown that away by necessity or by insanity. We are not quite sure. And now his entire life is basically spent in deviance. He's, he's um, you know, having people killed. He's, ga- you know, gambling. And I guarantee you if you lost, you know, if Nero lost a bet, well, he's not paying up, I imagine. <laughs> like, so, no, I mean, that's <laughs> part of the fun for them is losing the money. And he's losing a princely sum of not just his money, but the government's money in gambling. Wow, wow, wow. So he's... He, he's gone in there. So I think, I, you know, I'm trying to, again, it's, it's hard to enter these historic figures' minds because of what we just talked about. But it seems like he has an attitude. He has a very nihilistic attitude of like, to hell with it all, right? And, and, and I think the Roman fire kind of speaks of that, whereas he, he's at a point where up is down and down is up and watching everything burn is just, is just joy. At, at we this don't point. actually know that he watched everything burn. It's a historical anecdote. He probably cared somewhat, right? He probably wasn't actually there playing a musical instrument when Rome was on fire. That's there's no way to like kind of like verify that that happened. Yeah. So all we have to go on are stories from people who hate him saying that it happened, and so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the, you know, 
and then again, it goes back to like the Caligula story with the with the declaring war on the sea and so forth. It's like it could just be the, his political rivals that hate him and they they're they're slandering him and and making making this stuff up. But the the guy definitely, at the very least, had self-destructive tendencies and and i think he also engaged in a bit of sexual deviancy as, as well right i think he also had orgies and, and stuff like that like that kind of. they all had orgies but yes he was, <laughs> he was a deviant in in every sense of the word the one of their problems caligula too has the same problem is that they're too young to understand that there's a difference between what people want and what people need mm-hmm. and the people clamor for games and festivals and bread and circuses and Nero gives it to them. He's more than happy to give it to them. He wants people to like him. Yeah. He's not quite, I, I've been calling him a sociopath, but he's not quite a sociopath. He does care what people think about him to some extent. And when he throws these games, these lavish, expensive games, people love him for it, but it's not what the people need. And eventually you get to the point where it's like you spent all the money on parties because people wanted the parties, but now people are suddenly like, Hey, also we need food. We need grain. Can you please speed up the grain supply? And you can't You spent all your money and, or you're not um, qualified to do that. Right. Mm. Right. Like that's not, it's not a question of pressing the go faster button. There's deals to be made. There's people to talk to. There's contracts to be written out, read and signed. And, you know, 19-year-old's not so good at that. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So we have a, a really, we've got a young person who's sort of in the party animal kind of state of, of, of development, right? And it, it's really a, a kid in the, in the candy shop, so to speak, because he has all this power. There's no one really, you know, at least before he had his mother that was kind of like, you know, like, hey, I really need, like, she was a little, she was a pragmatic, she was, at least had a bit of pragmatism to her, and she was trying to guide him to do certain things, but now that's completely gone, and you also then have a a populace that has a strong appetite for decadence, and then a strong appetite for, for for fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're you're correct, Aaron, I, 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 I agree with you there, so, in a sign, in a show of like how the, technically it's not a kingdom, it's still a republic, the Senate eventually gets sick of Nero. Actually, I want to mention one more thing about Nero. The, the, it's believed that the, the number of the beast, 666, is referring to Nero. Mm. Because Nero's name sounds very similar in Latin to 666. Huh. And this was a way that the Christians could talk about him without, you know, drawing the ire of the Roman guard and being well killed, right? Got it. They got code for him. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's probably where that number comes from. That's how much they hated him. Um, and they should, because he was feeding them to lions for a fire that they definitely didn't start. Yeah. Um, the, and even though we don't have evidence that Nero necessarily played a musical instrument while the city burned what we do have evidence for is that nero bought up a lot of that land for very cheap after it all burned down and built or tried to build a huge palatial mansion in that space wow maybe he didn't care as much as he should have right so eventually the senate gets sick of his spending gets sick of the embarrassment of having a what at the time would be like worse than a prostitute ruling the country um (laughs) And they have Nero declared an enemy of the state. 
and Nero flees the the city. He tries to get away, and then at age thirty, he commits suicide. He's hiding out in a the home of a slave, and he hears horses nearby, and he believes the horses to be the Roman guard coming to find him and haul him back to the city to be tried and executed, and he kills himself. He ends up ruling the emperor, the empire for 13 and a half years, dies at the age of 30, and his alleged last words are, what, the, what an artist the world is losing. Oh, God. Like, those are his final thoughts, right? Are like, um, are like, I am such a great poet, I am such a great artist, and I feel, I feel bad for you people, frankly. Right? <laughs> the true sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. Just With, yeah. <laughs> Die young and leave a pretty corpse. And so with the death of Nero, the, the Roman state is thrown into upheaval because Nero is young. He's only 30. He has no heirs, no apparent heirs to take control of the, the empire. And what we see, like we talked about earlier, is this breakdown in legitimacy. Who is the legitimate ruler of Rome? The Senate is not strong enough to rule on their own anymore. They've been gutted and beaten. And though they were strong enough here to kind of like declare this unpopular ruler an enemy, they are not strong enough to like reseize government. Um, and what we're going to see over the next year is chaos as, as general after general makes like a play to control the empire. And somehow we, uh, we'll see the final general will be able to seize control against all the others and establish a new dynasty called the Flavian dynasty, starting with its first ruler, Emperor Vespasian. All right. That, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's quite a tale here. And it, it just, it kind of shows that, there's a, there's a lot of things that societies need to, to, to really consider when, when we're looking at succession and we're looking at, at rulers. And we also, we have these ideas that youth brings about hope and change and new ideas and so forth, right? And I, I think that's a, a popular sentiment that, that lives in our conscious. But I think life, we have to understand that like, life happens for a reason and it unravels in, in a certain way. Like your experiences make you stronger and if Nero had taken, you know, the throne at maybe the ripe old age of 40 or something, I'm not saying he would have been a Claudius. I'm not saying he would have been a Claudius, but I think he would not have gone the way of gambling and just throwing these lavish parties. I think life would have just maybe given him a little bit of a kick in the butt by that point that he would have his, his, his cards better in order. I know another saying, Aaron, which is that youth is wasted on the young. Yes, yes. I think that, I think that, that that's, a, that's a great way to think of it. Brett, thank you so much today. Thanks again for having me, Aaron. Anytime. This concludes the seventh part in our series, Rome, the Decline of Democracy. I'm Aaron Azrod.